Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. We gather this morning to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to proclaim that life and love have triumphed and will triumph over the violence and death that fill our world. Welcome, all of you, to this time of worship here at College Mennonite Church. We're glad that you're joining us here in this place or over the radio or watching in many different places around the world. And as we worship here in these safe surroundings today, may we also remember our sisters and brothers around the world who dare to declare the power of resurrection, even in the face of persecution and war and poverty and the threat of death. As God strengthens them, may God also make us bold to live as people who have been made new by the power of the resurrection. So Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Ah, some of you remember the Easter tradition. Good. So get your Alleluia bells ready. And anytime you hear that word during this service, please ring the bells. And if you don't have a bells because we ran out, you can get your car keys out. Or if you want to find some kind of bell ringing app on your phone, that's acceptable too this morning. I invite you to take your bulletin and join with me in the call to worship that's printed there. And left will be your left side, my right, and left and right. Let us say this together. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Cristo ha resucitado. De verdad, Cristo ha resucitado. Cristo ha resucitado. Christ is risen. Alleluia. Alleluia. Please take your blue hymnals and turn to number 280. Christ the Lord is risen today. And I invite you to stand as we sing this hymn of praise together.
and number 275. invite you to take your bulletins and inside is an insert for the risen lamb. The anthem that the choir is singing this morning has a place where you are going to be invited to join in singing on the second stanza of this hymn. It's a familiar tune. I think you'll recognize it right away. So I'll just turn around and invite you to join in on the second stanza.
invite you to join me in a time of prayer for ourselves, our community, and the world. And in this prayer, there will be several times where I will say, Lord, hear our prayer, excuse me, I will say, in your mercy, and invite you to respond with, Lord, hear our prayer. Please join me in prayer. God of life, God of salvation, and God of hope. Today, more than any other, we bring you our hallelujahs. You are love in action, even in the most hopeless situations. You are the God that walks with us in our joy and in our pain. You are the God of all creation, of the water, the earth, the sky, the soil. As we witness new flowers, tree buds, and green grass, give us joy and energy to do the work of caring for new life. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. God, you call us to take courage and to hope in you. We pray for those who are in need of hope and healing of body and spirit here in our congregation. For those of us in rehab from recent illness, give us strength. For those of us with long-term illnesses, help us to always know your presence. For those of us in the midst of relationships that are strained, give us wisdom and love. For those of us in the midst of grief, give us comfort. Today we especially pray for the family of Lamar Holloway as they continue to grieve his death. And God, for those of us ready for new life and looking for a new start, give us courage. We especially remember Keith Johnson as his release from prison is coming this week and give wisdom to his family and friends as they surround him and support him as he makes a fresh start. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. God, you proclaim peace to those who turn to you in their hearts. Now we pray for the church in all places that we may speak and act boldly for Christ in all places of this world. This morning we especially remember the church and the people of Sri Lanka as their churches and their political leaders decide how to respond to the aftermath of today's bombings. God, we pray for the world and all the leaders of this world, for the leaders of the countries where we were born, the countries where our ancestors were born, the countries where we have lived and visited. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. God, in this silence, hear our prayers for other concerns that we carry in our hearts. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. Creator, who gives us life 
Christ, who leads us to the hope of resurrection. Holy Spirit, who empowers us, show us your way of love and make us instruments of peace for all of creation. In the hope-filled and powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I again invite you to take your blue hymnals and turn to number 273. And as we sing, children, I invite you to come forward and Talasha will lead you in a special time following this song. either a rock or these green cloths that are palm branches. Does anyone not have one of those? Okay, we've got a couple. Daniel's got some more rocks. If he, oh, oh, you've got one. Good, Jaden. Anyone else need something? Do you all have something? Okay. 
Well, I'm going to try to come in here so that I can maybe, you know what? I'm going to come over here by Emmy and Evelyn, I think. Can I come sit by you two? Okay. I'm going to sit over here. And you can come up here if you want to so you can see better. All right. We're going to tell a story, and you all are going to help tell the story, okay? At the beginning of the week of the celebration of Passover, Jesus and his friends came into the city of Jerusalem. Jesus rode on a donkey, and the people recognized him as the Messiah. And do you know what they did? They raved. If you have a palm branch, the green cloth, wave it high in the air. They waved palm branches. Oh, there are some more over there. <laughs> there they are. Um, they waved palm branches. And do you know what they sang? Hosanna. They waved their palms and sang Hosanna. And they laid their palm branches down for Jesus to ride across. Thank you. How do you think the people were feeling when they recognized the Messiah? coming in. Show me with your faces. How do you think they might have felt? Yeah. Can you show me that face? Maybe happy, excited. Yeah. And then Jesus started surprising them. Jesus went to the temple. He saw that it was, instead of a house of worship, it was more of a place for buying and selling things. And if people couldn't afford to buy those things, then they didn't get to worship God. And that made him angry. And he began to overturn the tables. Elliot, can you overturn the tables? That means knock them over. That's right. And he said, my house is a house of prayer for everyone, but you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus' way of love was surprising. Jesus' way of love means that everyone can freely worship God. And then, as Jesus was teaching, a woman was dragged before them. And Jesus was told that she had done wrong and that the law said that she should be stoned. That means that people would throw rocks at her. And Jesus said, okay, the person who has never sinned can throw the first rock. And one by one, you know what the people did? They set down their stones. Can you set down your stone on this cloth? You might have to reach in to do it. One by one, they put those in and realized they couldn't stone her. Jesus told the woman to go on her way and do what was right and good. Jesus' way of love, Jesus' way of love is surprising. Jesus' way of love means that when we do things that are wrong, we can make it right again. And Jesus taught the people that whenever, oh yeah, thank you. You know what? Let's go ahead and leave those rocks alone now. If you haven't put it in, you can go ahead and put it in. Yeah. Yeah, that's a rock, isn't it? There you go. Let's help you back to your abuela. There you go. Jesus' way of love was surprising. Jesus' way of love means that when we do things that are wrong, we can make it right again. Then Jesus taught people that whatever we do to help humans here on earth, it's like we're doing that for Jesus. Jesus' way of love was surprising. 
Jesus' way of love means that we can only truly love God if we are loving each other well. And then Jesus went with his friends to have a Passover meal with them, similar to what some of you had here on Thursday night. And before they ate, Jesus knelt down and he began to wash their feet. Yeah, ew, huh? Their feet were very, very dirty because they'd been traveling all day and walking in the dirt. Jesus showed them that Jesus' way of love is, remember the word? Surprising, yes. Jesus' way of love means that no one is too important to serve someone else. And then Jesus and his friends went to the garden to pray. You put your hands in what we think of, actually, you know what, let's do this position. This is probably more how Jesus and his friends would have prayed in the garden. And then soldiers came and they took Jesus away. And he was hurt very badly. And Jesus died on a cross. And as he died, he prayed, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Jesus' way of love is surprising. Jesus' way of love means that even when people had been very, very mean to him, he forgave them. Jesus' friends took his body and they put it in a tomb. And they felt like all hope had been lost. Show me on your faces. How do you think they felt? Sad. Sad. Yeah, and maybe a little scared. A little hopeless. At the beginning of the week, they felt so happy, so full of hope that the world was about to change. And now their friend, their teacher, their leader had died. Even the earth was sad. And then on the third day, Jesus' friend Mary came to his tomb to care for his body. And when she got there, the stone, can you show me what happened to the stone? Where was it? Was it here anymore? It was rolled away, wasn't it? And she ran back to, to get some, some of the disciples and she told them they had taken the Lord's body away. And so they came running back to the tomb with her and they saw that Jesus' body was gone and they got scared so they went running back home and Mary stayed there crying. And then two angels appeared ap- in the tomb. They appeared in the tomb. Yes. And they said to her, do you know what they said? Why are you crying? And she said, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where to find him. And then a man appeared beside her. And you know what he said? One man, it was Jesus. Oh, yes, that's what happened, isn't it? And what what did the man who appeared beside her say? Does anyone know? Yeah, woman, why are you weeping? Why are you crying? And she answered him, and then you know what he said to her? He said her name. He said, Mary. And you know how when a parent or a grandparent or a friend that you love says your name, it just sounds a little different? I think it maybe sounded a little different to her. 
and she recognized him and she cried, teacher. Yeah, that's what she called him. Jesus' way of love is very surprising. Not even death is stronger than the love of God. Jesus' death showed us that you can't kill God. Right? Nobody can. Nothing is bigger or more powerful than God. We can follow Jesus' way of love, and nothing is stopping us. So on Palm Sunday, we sang Hosanna and waved palm branches. And today, on Easter, do you know what the word is? What's the word where you're supposed to jingle something? Hallelujah. Yes, hallelujah. Thank you. And that's an ancient word or phrase that we kind of say when no other words are going to cover it. When nothing else can express how grateful we are, we say hallelujah. All right. So today we have very, very good news. Jesus is alive and powerful and nothing is stronger than God. And that is very good news. So we are going to fold this up and we are going to stand up. Yep, you can put those in here. All right. Stand up. And put your arms in the air. And our prayer today is going to be simply hallelujah, okay? And if you all want to join, you're welcome to raise your arms up and pray with us too. Arms up. You can look up or out, whichever you want. And we're going to say hallelujah three times. And each time we're going to get louder. Ready? First time. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. You may get worship bags if you would like to and go back to your seats. There will be words on the screen for Lord of the Dance.
Our preacher for this morning is Phil Waite, our pastoral team leader. I invite you to join me in a prayer of blessing for Phil and us from this time. God, we thank you for guiding and inspiring Phil as he has studied and worked towards this moment. Open our hearts and our minds and our lives to hear your words through him today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Christ is risen. Alleluia. We didn't have nearly enough bells for everybody. Those of you with keys in your pocket or in your purse or somewhere, we've got this is we've been really weak on the bells today. today. It's very disappointing. This is a great service, so uplifting in so many ways, but the bells have just not, not come through. So let's try this again. Everybody ready? Get got ready? Alleluia. Es mucho mejor. Much better. We only do it once a year, and we have got to get it right. It's so disappointing if we don't. Our scripture this morning is from Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again? Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. The word of the Lord. In Luke's gospel, after Jesus is baptized by John in the, in the wilderness in the Jordan River, he goes uh, to be tempted by the devil 
for 40 days and 40 nights. And in Luke's gospel, the, the second, in the second temptation, the devil takes Jesus up to a high mountain. And they look at all the kingdoms of the world, the text says. Often our English texts are translated, the world. And the devil says, all these I will give you in all their glory and all their authority if you worship me. Now that word which is translated as world has a bit of a different sense. And I think it's kind of important. And so I want to unpack it a little bit, that Greek word, that word in Greek has a political kind of meaning. So I've, I've, I've been thinking, trying to think about how to explain this, and I think, of, think about maps. There are all kinds of different maps, right? There's a relief map. I have nautical maps in my office that I like. Uh, there are maps that are road maps, and the focus is on um, the roads. There are maps that show uh, vegetation, and all kinds of different things. But one kind of map is a political map. It's a definition of a particular kind of map. And that map shows all the places where people live. And that's the sense of this Greek word. It's as if the devil takes Jesus up and shows him all the kingdoms in the world and the places where people live. That's kind of the sense of the text. So I want to I describe that. Um, I want you to have a sense of that. It has to do with the sense of dwelling and habitation. The, the parts of the world that are filled with people where people dwell. Jesus, of course, says no. Jesus rejects the offer the devil gives him of all the kingdoms of the world. And the course of his life is set. I have been fascinated uh, lately, I, I'm not sure if others of you have been, but, uh, but I've been really fascinated by the, the, by, by the college admissions scandal. You following the college admissions scandal at all? Some people are, you're aware of it, I suppose. It's been in the news, this college admissions scandal. Part of the reason maybe is that I have, I have teenage uh, sons, and so I think about college admissions and, and the ins and outs of that. Uh, the shorthand is, of course, these people have been been caught paying, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get their kids into these prestigious schools. It's, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a scam. And part of me, uh, I mean, a little bit, a little, little bit of me, just a little teeny bit, experiences what's called schadenfreude, that sort of joy in the comeuppance of other people, like oh, they, get, they, they get what they deserve for getting caught in this scandal. But mostly I don't feel that. Mostly it just makes me sad. Because I think this, this scandal is a commentary on the state of affairs in our world. Some 19th century observers said, we are drowning in the icy waters of egotistical calculation. We are drowning in the icy waters of egotistical 
calculation, and I, I actually looked this up on Google Translate to see what it would be in Spanish. Calculos egoístas. Is that? Where's my, where am I? Calculos egoístas. A sense of egocentric calculations. And it strikes me that this is what Jesus is asked to do. The devil takes him up to a high mountain and assumes, assumes that Jesus, like everyone else, is drowning in the icy waters of ego, egotistical calculation and is going to make a decision based on his ego, based on self-interest. These, this is the nature, friends, of human politics. Each of us, in our own way, is locked into a realm of egotistical calculation. We try to gauge, we try to, to make decisions, we try to manipulate outcomes in this calculating way based on our own self-interest. So when Jesus marches into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the expectations of all Jerusalem is that he's going to be just like them. He is going to be making decisions based on egotistical calculation. He is going to be making decisions based on his own self-interest. And each character in the drama is doing the same thing that they think Jesus is going to do. They're making decisions based on egotistical calculation. The, 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 the chief priests and the teachers of the law making decisions based on their own ego and their own concerns for their own power. Pilate Oh, there's somebody who's engaged in the practice of egotistical calculation uh, more than anybody. How is this going to impact me? How is what happens to Jesus going to change, going to affect my authority and my, and my power and my relationship with Rome and my relationship with the people? It's all egotistical calculation. And we have, in our day, just like in Jesus' day, a world drowning in the icy waters of egotistical calculation. Social, political, economic, cultural, each of us in our own way is making those calculations in our mind constantly. Every day, all the time. Does this add up? Will this work? Will this give me what I want? Will this make me happy? Will this please me? Will, will this 
get, will this uh, help, help my child to be successful in life if I pay $500,000 to get them into USC? The calculations constantly. It's exhausting, really. It's exhausting. Jesus has none of it. Jesus rejects categorically and completely every day and for all time the temptation of egotistical calculation. Jesus makes decisions based on something entirely different than egotistical calculation. He bases his decisions on his knowledge of God, on his knowledge of God. I'm going to go back to this word, dwelling place, this sense of habitation, the, the, the known world of habitation, of human habitation, this political understanding. The scriptures tell us that God's dwelling place is somebody. Where does God dwell? What does the scripture, what does Isaiah say? Eternity. God's dwelling place is eternity. God does not live in houses made by people. God's dwelling place is eternity. Now, that's a lot to wrap your minds around, right? In the imaginations of our hearts, in the imaginations of our proud hearts, as Mary might say, Mary, the mother of Jesus. We imagine in the terms of egotistical calculation. But in the imagination of the heart of Jesus, he sees and experiences a different dwelling, eternity the dwelling place of God. Of course, the Easter story is that God raised Jesus from the dead. And those earliest, earliest testimonies in the book of Acts, described in the book of Acts, say that God raised Jesus from the dead. It wasn't so much a spontaneous resurrection as it was an act of God. God raised Jesus from the dead. And those early testimonies in the, in the book of Acts contrast, they juxtapose the actions of humans, which are violence. You killed Jesus, it's Jesus whom you killed, with the action of God. God raised Jesus from the dead. And on the, one, on the one hand, we have egotistical calculation. On the other hand, we have the eternal God. Easter 
invites us out of the icy waters of egotistical calculation into the presence of the one who raised Jesus from the dead, into the presence of eternity, and into a politics, and into an economics, and into a culture, and into a society shaped by eternity. This morning, we are going to partake of Holy Communion. It has different names, Eucharist sometimes, the Lord's Supper sometimes, but this morning I want to focus on this feast as communion. We are celebrating this morning our union with each other, yes, but through Christ our union with God, whose dwelling place is eternity. The scriptures call us to remain, to remain, to dwell, to be with God. And that call is a call to remain, to be with, to dwell with, to dwell in eternity. When we say our liturgy, we say, we join our voices, we join our voices with saints past, saints present, and saints to come, all the company of heaven. In this moment, in communion time, is collapsed, and we have eternity, and we have each other, and we have God. That, this, is the essence of resurrection politics. Amen. In the purple Sing the Story books, number 91,
As we enter into the celebration of communion, I invite you to take your bulletin and read responsively with me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Also with you. What do we bring to Christ's table? We bring bread made by many people's work in a world where some have plenty and some go hungry. At this table, Christ feeds us out of abundance. Thanks be to God. What do we bring to Christ's table? We bring the fruit of the vine, crushed from many grapes, from a broken world which cries for healing. At this table, we share the cup of hope and the joy of salvation. Thanks be to God. What do we bring to Christ's table? We bring our gifts and offerings, returning to God, the first fruits of our labors. At this table, we offer willing hearts secure in God's love. Thanks be to God. I invite you to bring your offerings forward to the basket up here. If you need assistance, there are children and ushers who can glad to help you as well. And please pass and sign the friendship tablets that are at the end of your pews as well.
Lift up your hearts to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give God thanks and praise. It is indeed right and always right to give you thanks and praise, Lord God. In your goodness, you created all things and gave them life. Therefore, we join our voices with the saints, past, present, and to come, and all the company of heaven to praise your glorious name. Please turn and sing the journey to number 15. We'll sing this twice through, first in Spanish and then in English. Please join me in prayer. Holy God, Lord of creation, you formed the earth from chaos. You molded us in your image. With mercy higher than the mountains and grace deeper than the seas, you called and led your people. When we chose to flee your calling, you came to us through the life and death of the Messiah. Jesus, and you adopted us as your own. With bread and wine, Jesus sealed your covenant with us. Gathered at this table, we remember his life lived and offered up for others. In dying, he set us free from death. In rising, he opened the way to eternal life. God, send now your Holy Spirit on us and on this meal that we might share Christ's bounty with the world. We ask this through our Savior, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The night before he died, Jesus took bread 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, Jesus gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And now, Almighty God, in remembrance of the life and the death and the resurrection of your Son, we together celebrate the wonder of your grace, and we proclaim the mystery of faith, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. The people will come from the east and the west and the north and the south together at the table in the kingdom of God. All of you who are able are invited to come forward to the circle and to take communion. Ushers will give directions inviting you from the back and to come down the two main aisles. And if you are not able to come forward, simply raise your hand and servers will come to you. For those of you in the balcony, just follow the directions of the ushers as well. Those of you not partaking in the bread and the cup are also invited to come forward and receive a blessing and a pretzel from Talasha. So come, all of you, taste and see the goodness freely given for you.
For those of you sitting in the pews, if you'd like to turn to hymn number 269, we'll sing, Thine is the Glory. Number 267. <clears throat> 267. Christ has arisen.
join me in a prayer of thanksgiving. God of abundance, you fed us with the bread of life and the cup of salvation. You have united us with Christ and with one another and made us one with all your people in heaven and on earth. Now send us forth in the power of your spirit that we may proclaim your redeeming love to the world and walk in the resurrection of Christ our Savior. Amen. As we sing this final song, um, we forgot to invite the children to come and dance earlier. So, um, as we sing Praise God From Whom, children are invited to come forward, bring your worship bags back, and grab a scarf and dance, and anybody else is welcome to come to dance with your hands, your feet, your vocal cords, whatever feels most comfortable to you as we sing. Please stand and use your blue hymnals, number 118. Number 118, and I have invited Dirk to help me lead this one. the benediction, please extend a hand of peace and welcome to those around you. So go with these words from 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for each one of you. Christ is risen. 
Christ is risen indeed. Amen. Hallelujah. Go in peace.